As we continue the week for the Master's Men, we have an unusual privilege before us today as we welcome a panel to our campus that's comprised of people who are not only demonstrating a great deal of success in the professions that God has placed them in, but also people that are carrying forth a strong witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, in these next few moments, I know that your heart is going to be blessed and that you're going to be challenged as you uh, listen to these people talk about uh, their view of the workplace and how God is using them strategically in the day in which we find ourselves. I'd like our panel to come up, if they would, right now and join me here on the platform. And I want to make some introductions, if I might, so that you may know who is uh, so graciously agreed to be with us here this morning in our chapel hour. As you can see, this is the Master's men and women this morning here in chapel. Our first panel uh, member is Mr. Jack Cox, and he is president of the Foundation for American Communications. The foundation educates journalists, business people, government, and community leaders in a wide range of public policy, economic, and business issues. FACS not only helps news people understand and analyze issues, it also helps news sources understand the press and improve their ability to get their stories told. And so Mr. Cox is found in a tremendously strategic position. Our next panel member on Mr. Cox's left would be Mrs. Sharon Givens. And she lives with her husband and children in Valencia, California. Her husband, Tom Givens, who's with us as well in chapel this morning, has been the pastor of Grace Baptist Church for the past three years. She's the wife of our pastor and the mother of three children, a teenage girl and two younger boys, very active in soccer. She's a graduate of Moody Bible Institute with a diploma in sacred music. On Mrs. Givens' left is Mrs. Carolyn Lott, who's a graduate of Los Angeles Baptist College with a bachelor's degree in English and from the University of Detroit with a secondary teaching credential. She is currently employed by the Northrop Corporation Aircraft Division in Hawthorne, California, where she's worked for the past three years. She has a dual role there as publications editor and as civic and community relations representative. And then rounding out our panel this morning is Dr. Lloyd Brown who received his Ph.D. degree in chemical engineering from the University of California at Berkeley and has completed postdoctoral work at NASA Ames Research Center in Mountain View, California. He is currently a professional engineer at GA Technologies in La Jolla, California, where he has worked on a variety of research and development projects in the energy and defense fields. Let's welcome this panel if we would this morning to our I've given a general introduction, but what I would like to do right now is ask each of the panel members to just describe briefly for you, if they would, what is entailed in their current position so that we get a, a little better feel from, from each one of them as to what they're doing. Jack, we'll start with you. 
Do you want me to start up there? You, you may. When John said uh, originally, well, I'll tell you, this is a. Did you have a rock group in here last night? <laughs> Not at Masters, no. <laughs> when John Stead called me, he asked me to talk a little bit about excellence. And uh, on the back of your little program is a quote that says, Whatever they do, whether in law or medicine or homemaking or construction, they're accountable to Christ and the glory of God. And in preparing for this, I took a couple minutes, and I'm going to answer your question, but uh, John asked me just to make a couple of comments about excellence, particularly in the light of the fact of the amount of press that Christianity has been in the last two or three months, two or three weeks. God expects excellence from man, but knows that one can never achieve pure excellence as we know. Webster's defines excellence as to surpass, especially in good qualities, to be better than, to be very good. In our lives, we have to have the goal of excellence in everything we do. However, that excellent need, excellence needs to be in all aspects of our lives. We are a social creature, we are a physical creature, we are an intellectual creature, a political creature, and finally, a spiritual creature. Certainly, the final value is the most important of all in putting in context, context those other values. We need to keep in perspective how we as Christians are seen to the outside world. What is understood by the world around us and when they view Christianity? Booker T. Washington, the Negro educator and American leader, spoke at Harvard University about 100 years ago after receiving an honorary, honor, honorary degree. Booker T. Washington, as you know, became, I think, probably one of the best known and famous black leaders in our country. And he warned his, his race at that time that they must be considered by the excellence and their, their performance. And that is the way they should be judged. And that is the way we as Christians should be judged. It's important for you to have an education in the Bible and to understand uh, and to be the kind of Christian witnesses you should be to the world. However, we must be excellent in other areas as well. We must understand how our market system functions. We must understand our legal system. We must, must understand uh, the world around us, the impact of technology and science on our lives. Understand history, that there's really nothing under the sun, whether it be S-U-N or S-O-N. Certain all of this from a Christian perspective. I think it's essential that we as Christians individually or collectively excel in, excel in the world around us. That excellent, excellence must be in one's chosen profession, trade, or position as a homemaker. However, I'd like to particularly point out the failure of Christianity to enter many of the fields, particularly in academics, and that has been captured by others. Much of the work that has been done in economics, law, modern science, and history has not been done by Christians. When presenting books on evolution in many of our Christian bookstores around America, the kind of scientists that we often have writing those books are not from the best colleges. They're all right. They're from lower level schools, but they're not Nobel laureates. They're not experts from Caltech or MIT. In economics, most of the leaders that we see are not Christians. Why don't we have Christians winning the Nobel Prize? And one of you in this room could do that. How about in the news media? What do we have? We have Christian leaders attacking the press. We have Christian leaders, and we don't see Christians entering the media. Steve Bell of ABC News is a, is a, is a Christian. But why don't we have more? What is the answer of Christianity to, to journalism? We set up ju Christian journalism schools, and qu the question to you is, if you're a news director at WABC in New York, and you're going to debate between a journalism student from CBN University or the Columbia School of Journalism, who are you going to choose? I'm pleased that Master's College is doing the kind of job it is doing in excellence. 
How many of you read a daily newspaper? How many of you read a news magazine? How many of you ever watch the EOL report? And this is going to answer your question finally. Recently, Ben Stein wrote a column, and he, he did a survey of Southern California teenagers and college students. He asked them about things like World War II. Not a single student could say when the war was fought. None can place the Civil War or World War I. At USC, a 19-year-old student was genuinely shocked to learn that the U.S. was fighting Japanese troops in the Pacific. Who won, she asked. Another student at USC, a journalism student, was confused about Japan's bombing of Pearl Harbor in 1941 with our bombing of Hiroshima in 1945. She was not sure which side Russia was on in World War II. A few knew that California had two senators. Only two could tell Stein where Chicago was. A student at UCLA thought Toronto was probably in Italy. Of greater concern, Stein's comments, is the pervasive ignorance of free and totalitarian societies. That he found among teenagers. He was watching some scenes on TV of martial law in Poland. Civilians were being herded into panel-like enclosures, and his young companion was mystified. Why didn't the civilians just leave and come to L.A.? Stein explained uh, gently that in totalitarian states, people are not free to immigrate. They can't, inquired the incredulous student. Since when? And finally, one student hazarded a guess that Stalin was the American president just before Roosevelt. <laughs> As for NATO, aren't they the ones that put those things up in the space? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I think that Christians have a tremendous opportunity. Every one of you in this room has an opportunity to excel in excellence and to be the best. Christianity is not Jimmy and Tammy Baker. Christianity is not fights for ministries. Christianity is not commercialism. And the time has come for us as Christian leaders to be the best in our fields and for us to stand up and present the kind of alternative to the world that the world needs. I'm pleased to be part of this panel. I hope I didn't take too long on my question, but you can blame John Stead. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, take a look. All right, we'd like to give our other panel members an opportunity to describe what they do. And uh, you don't have to come up to the platform or the pulpit if you don't want to. You may answer right I there. promise you I won't have that much to say. Um, I'm privileged to be the wife of a very busy man who you've heard is a pastor. And I've always felt that that's a 28-hour-a-day job. But also the Lord has blessed me with three children who are also very busy. And I want you to know because I'm on this panel, I'm not the perfect wife and mother. I yell at my kids just like everybody else. But I think I have the greatest calling, and that is to be um, in charge of a home and provide a place where uh, children of God can grow up. focus on women in the business world, there is no higher calling for a woman than to be a mother and to be a homemaker, and I have to do those as part of the job. But nevertheless, I am a mother, I have a 10-year-old daughter, and I have two stepchildren, I have a home, 
and I do try to provide the same type of services, although it's really difficult when you get home at 6 to do that. Right now I'm working for Northrop Corporation as a community relations representative. I did start there as a publications editor and just this year I did give up doing the publications that I was hired to do. Now my job focuses on taking Northrop's concerns to the community and taking the community's concerns back to Northrop and finding a way to bring a resolution that keeps everybody happy. The other interesting aspect of my job is dealing with legislative issues that affect both the community and Northrop and finding the right people in the right places to get the right legislation passed. That's my newest task that I'm learning. I'm finding it interesting and challenging, and it's something that I didn't train to do. But let me say that I think literature majors have the um, greatest flexibility when they go out to the workplace because you can do almost anything. <laughs> Dr. Brown. I basically solve problems in my workplace. I uh, am working in the energy field and in the defense field, basically with materials, development of materials. And I work with engineers, scientists, technicians, uh, doing my job as best I can for the Lord and my employer. Great, thank you. One big question that we have is, how do you relate your Christianity to your profession? Uh, maybe to be a little more specific, if you could just share with us uh, an instance in which you were able to share Christ because of or within your job situation. Or what types of things do you do in order to, uh, in your profession, to help you to have a positive testimony in the workplace? Dr. Brown, let's start with you and come back the other direction. I believe in living Christ through my life and the things that I do, in the decisions that I make, and in my interactions with the people that I work with. Uh, I have a stand that I take, and I take a stand, and it is accepted. First of all, as I shared with the students that I spoke with earlier this morning, I think that as a Christian, the thing that I can do best in whatever job I'm doing is to do just that, my best. Because when people look at me and realize that I am a professing Christian, and they see that I am working hard and giving my employer all of his money that he deserves, then I think that speaks well of Christians and it reflects on the theme of excellence that's already been mentioned. I'd also like to share just briefly an experience that just came to a conclusion yesterday that I find really exciting. It's not something that I do real often. We were experiencing a problem in our department. Lots of cutbacks. This is kind of the way of life in the aerospace world. And our department has shrunk from 10 to 4, from three secretaries to one, and they were cutting the headcount for the secretary that we had felt it would be absolutely impossible for the four of us to function in our role without a secretary. My manager, who is also very close, excuse me, very dear friend of mine, 
who is not a Christian and yet is an extremely spiritual-minded person was really distraught over this because she felt it was her responsibility to keep that secretary headcount for us and didn't know how to do it. She was presented with an option that was just not acceptable. And when she came to me and said, this is what we're going to have to do, I said, no, that just won't work. She said, well, I don't know what else to do. So I went back into her office a short time later and I said, well, I have a proposal. She said, what is that? I said, I propose to make a pact with you that from now until the resolution of this particular problem, we will agree to pray every single morning about this particular problem. Anything else, too, that you want to pray about, but especially this one problem. We're both in the office. We'll pray together. If we're not in the office, sometimes her work takes her to Georgia. We'll pray separately, but we will pray every single day until it's resolved. And her face just lit up like a light bulb. And she said, thank you so much. And we did just that. And yesterday, I got a phone call from her manager's secretary who said, did I tell you yesterday that your secretarial slot was approved? I said, no. And she says, I didn't tell you today either. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my dear friend who was home ill, um, and I'm just, just down from some tremendous uh, heavy load at work, I called her and I said, I just received a phone call. This is the news. And she was just ecstatic. And that's the power of prayer. And that's the kind of testimony that we can be when the Lord opens the opportunity. Thank you. Mrs. Givens. I find that many times uh, my opportunities to share the Lord come to my children because of those are the people that I spend most of my time with. Uh, one instance was my, my little boy wanted to take his friend with him to an activity at church. And immediately his grandmother called and said, um, Tommy has invited Darren to come to church with him, but I told him he couldn't go because we're not that kind and, and we don't belong to your church, so I know he can't come. Um, I had the chance to share with her why, uh, as we attend church, it's a relationship that we're working on and a, a, a situation where we try to get to know the Lord better and we want to spend time with Him and that's why we go to His house. That was a whole new thing to her. She thought that she had to be a member in order to even walk through our church door. Also, um, to keep positive testimony with those around me, I try to be myself with my children. And I also try to make time for them. Very often when you're a pastor's wife, you're very busy, especially when your husband is very busy. My husband teaches here at Master's College and Seminary and also um, is a pastor right down the road. So I have to be very careful to keep a positive testimony before my kids. I never want them to grow up and think that the church came first in my life. I want them to know that they came first. So I plan once a month to spend time with them. One Sunday afternoon a month is their Sunday, and we do whatever they want. And that's the time when I ask them, how can I pray for you? What's going on at school? How's math? How's algebra? How's the guy that's calling all the time? Um, and so I try to keep open communication with my kids because I think it's important that I'm real to them and that I don't just appear to be caring about others more than I'm caring about them. So that's how I share Christ with those around me and in my home. Cox. I won't take as long this time. <laughs> I think uh, I agree with all the panelists here. I think basically it's the witness that you have. Um, I found in my 
my work is almost entirely with uh, the secular world, working with national news organizations and business and all sorts of institutions. I can tell you one quick story you might be interested in. Uh, uh, I came to a top research psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Park Dietz came to work with us on a, on a consulting basis. He's at the University of Virginia, headed up the psychiatric team, interviewed John Hinckley after he tried to assassinate President Reagan. And so he came out and spoke at a conference we were doing here in Los Angeles, and that night we went out to have dinner. And uh, remember, he's one of the best top research psychiatrists in the nation. And uh, we're talking, and afterwards we had dinner, and we were talking to my wife, and I said, you know, you're sort of different. Are you Christians? And I, and I always, sort of Christ came up into the discussion. And, well, come to find out, uh, he tells me he was a member of the Pornography Commission. Well, you may know another member of the Pornography Commission, James Dobson. So he begins to tell me the kind of witness that James Dobson has had in his life. So I run into Jim Dobson on an airplane getting off in Dallas, Texas. Two weeks later, I mean, you want to know the Lord's hand, and I'm getting off the plane this way, and Dobson's getting off the plane this way. We come together exactly the same moment. I looked at Jim, and I said two words, Park Dietz. He said, Park Dietz. He said, tell me. And so we went outside, and, I, and we talked about Park Dietz. And, and he did not know the impact that he had had as a Christian on this man. And Park Dietz will be on uh, Focus on the Family next month or a month after that. But the point is, in this professional world, Jim Dobson was the kind of reputation to this man. And you just never know. So my answer is, I think it's the excellence and the job that you do. It's not preaching to people. Uh, they don't need any more preaching. What they need is comfort and support and to see that you're there. And my staff now is two-thirds, or two-thirds of them are Christians. And uh, we're blessed for that, but that's just the way the Lord has worked it out for us. Great. Thank you. I'd like to ask some specific questions to individuals on the panel. And I'm going to start with Mrs. Gibbons. Okay? Within your job situation, job in quotes as a homemaker, uh, wife and mother, uh, do you have opportunities to share Christ with those around you? Uh, with neighbors or whoever might come into your life. Maybe you'd like to describe that to us. Uh, we've had the privilege of living in um, several different houses. And whenever we get to know our neighbors, one of the first questions they ask after, do you have a dog or how many kids do you have, is, why do you go out so much all dressed up? <laughs> and then when they figure out we're going to church, well, why do you go to church so much? So I've had opportunities to share with new neighbors um, just exactly what the Lord Jesus means to me and why we feel it's important to be in the house of the Lord. Also, when you're the homemaker, uh, when those friends come on Saturday morning with their literature, knock on your door in between pancakes, usually the homemaker is the one to answer the door. And so I've, several times I've had an opportunity to share with Jehovah's Witnesses why I believe Jesus Christ is my personal Savior, um, and that's enough for me. So um, I've had opportunities to share in those ways. But also, I wanted to tell you that um, my children, I think I have an opportunity to share Christ with them as well. Now, each of them, I've had the privilege of praying with them when they were very young. My daughter was five, and my boys were four and three and a half, which sounds like really young. And so, only the Lord knows what took place in their heart. I feel that I've seen um, fruit in their lives, especially as they grow older. But I think it's very important that I live the Lord and share Him with them 
because they're still young. I know I've heard lots of college students and young married people say, well, I prayed with my mom when I was real little, but when I was in high school, that's when I really came to know what the Lord meant to me, and that's when I gave my life to Him. So very often when I'm dealing with my children, I of course assume that they know the Lord, but I always take every opportunity that I can to share with the Lord and what He can mean in their lives. And for instance, in a discipline situation, just last Sunday, my 10-year-old was sitting next to me in church. Not tell his father I'm telling him this. Mom, this is so boring. When is it going to be over? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, yeah. So I said, Joel, do you know who's sitting next to you? I said, do you think the Lord is smiling? I said, we're here to worship the Lord. Just try to think about him. We're, only, we're privileged because we get to come. So just listen. And I didn't have to hear any more about, about that from him. Also, I tried to remind them, what would the Lord do? What do you think the Lord would say right now? Or I tried to just remind them in situations that um, what the Lord thinks about what they're doing is very important. And I try to give them every opportunity, take every opportunity to share him with them. Because I think just because they prayed really early in their lives and asked him into their heart, I think I should take every opportunity each day to share Christ with them. Thank you. Mrs. Lott, uh, how do you balance your time uh, between your job and your home, your family, your church? Is it hard? Do you run into problems at work because of your priorities at home? Uh, how do you handle this in your life? I come back about 10 years and let you know. Okay. It's an ongoing problem, and if I ever get it solved, I'm going to write a book so that everyone else will know how to do it. Um, it is probably the most difficult aspect of my life, and I struggle with it daily. I'm extremely hard on myself, and I'm working on that right now because I can't be who I want to be to all the people in my life that need me. I always thought if I had a child, I'd raise them a certain way and I'd spend a certain amount of time and do certain things with them. Now she's 10 and she's going to be gone before you know it. And I've realized that I can't be the employee and the mother and the wife and the church uh, worker and the community volunteer that I would like to be. I could come back and do each thing one at a time, maybe I could be. But it's an ongoing struggle and I think that daily we have to reevaluate ourselves and daily... If we're doing it correctly, we commit that day to God and let Him help balance it. But I can't say that I always do that. I wish I could sit here and say that I do. Um, I do, however, have to make decisions. And one of those was to, to look around me and see an awful lot of uh, women in the workplace who are going back to school for additional education so that they can get further in their careers. And a lot of times the pressure is there to do just that. And I made a decision about eight years ago when I entered a master's program and then dropped the program because I decided that as important as additional education was to me, being a mother and having some time with my child was more important. And there have been times when I felt down about that. There have been times when I've seen other women that have moved ahead and then there are times when I look at my daughter and I realize I can go to school 10 years from now. She won't be a child again. So there are decisions that you have to make. And I've been extremely fortunate in the type of jobs that I've had. But 
again, as I shared with the group earlier, I won't know until we took glory how much a hand God had in, in giving me the different jobs that I've had. But I do know that I've been extremely fortunate to have jobs that have given me flexibility and independence. I can leave my job anytime I want to go tend to my daughter's needs. I can leave early when I need to to get her to a Girl Scout trip. I can go home early if my husband needs me. I can take off in the middle of the day. I can deal with issues from my desk and my phone that, that pertain to my family. So I've been lucky not everyone can do that. And as far as the church is concerned, I've had to limit my participation. Unlike my mother, who taught Sunday school every day or every Sunday for 10 years and who cooked for all the banquets and did all the church involvement, I've not been able to do that. And I struggle a lot of times with guilt because I don't feel that I'm doing my part in church. But instead, at our church, we have a rotating teaching team. And last summer, I taught some Sunday school all summer to give the regular teachers a break. But other times, I've served on task force in the church to study certain aspects of the church life. But because of my professional expertise, I have something to contribute. There are ways that I can be involved, not in the traditional sense that my mother was involved, but in a way that at least I know I'm contributing something to the local church. And I must add, through tithing, the church cannot function without monetary gifts, and I work and I earn money, and so I support the church through tithing. Mr. Cox, you're involved in the uh, with the media. They're the gatekeepers of information in our society, and it's a it's a real frontline position, uh, highly political, I'm sure, in nature. Uh, how do you? become as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove in dealing in this world? Or to put it in Christ's words, uh, how can you be in the world but not of the world in this uh, realm that you work in? Um, this on? You guys got it back there? Terrific. Uh, they work at KNBC on weekends, is that right? <laughs> I want to make one comment. A lot is said about the role of wives in the home. And as you talked, uh, Carolyn, about uh, the role of being, the importance of being there. And I'm just going to answer your question in a second. But I also want to say, and this is often not said by men, but I don't think very many of you in this room have got children yet, right? You will. And right now, guys, it isn't going to seem macho to have a three-year-old little child running around doing cleaning up on them and helping them out and bringing them along. But believe me, it'll become the most important thing in your lives. And I think so often men get on a treadmill. I travel constantly all over the United States, 150,000, 100,000 miles a year. But i got to tell you one thing. I set up my schedule based upon my kids. And it's ex ex very, very important. If you're going to be in the world, because if you don't have that foundation at home, I don't care what you do, you're going to blow it. And it's important not to take on too much. Um, as Clint Eastwood said in the movie, Dirty Harry, a man's got to know his limitations. <laughs> I'm not saying that's biblical, all right? <laughs> to see Clint and, Mel and Carmel and find out about that. But. But seriously, to answer your question, I think it's uh, it's tough. Uh, 
working with the press sometimes, but it's tough working with anybody in the world. I get sick and tired of uh, people, certain pastors and others that attack the press because journalists, women and men, get up every day and do their job. And the vast majority of them are wonderful people and good friends and, and uh, trying to do an honest job. One of the big battles in journalism today is ethics, and one of the ways that we've been able to, I guess, position ourselves as Christians is to talk about the ethical values that reporters have, but it's also the ethical responsibilities that business leaders have, that people in the church have, and uh, I, I have to, you have to guard yourself. One of the biggest tough problems in working in the world is not to be sucked into it, because people are telling jokes and all sorts of things, and, and it's how you handle that and how you position yourself so you can properly deal with people and they can relate to you. I mean, they don't need to see you carrying down the hallway uh, at IBM three pounds of Bibles underneath your arm. That isn't going to make it. But I maybe I hope I answered your question. It is, it's a constant battle, but working with journalists, I spent uh, eight years in politics. I was an administrative assistant to a United States congressman in Washington. And if you think journalists are tough, you ought to try politicians. Uh, it's even tougher. Uh, but uh, I believe that's another important realm, and uh, we got to be in there. We can't just cave in and uh, and kiss it off. And believe me, I don't think it's going to be Christian media that does it. It's going to be us in the press. We don't need Christian media any more than we need Christian IBMs or Christian Quaker Oats's or Christian anything else's. We need to be in the world. Dr. Brown. Have you had situations in, uh, in which you were asked to compromise your convictions in the workplace in order to meet a job requirement that was established for you? And if so, how have you handled that? What's been your approach? I believe the important thing is to set your standards and make them obvious early. Um, I think in any situation in life, there are lines drawn. And if the lines are fuzzy, uh, then people push to find out where they are. It happens in the workplace, it happens uh, in your home with your kids. They want to know where the lines are, and uh, you have to establish them, draw them, then they know where they are. In the workplace, if you have standards that are your standards, if, if they're obvious to the people around you what your standards are, then they know where your lines are, and you don't even get asked those questions. So uh, I believe, again, living your Christian testimony doing your job, again, the, the, the theme of excellence, if you are doing your job well, they're not going to ask you to do anything else. Good. Let's uh, approach some practical situations in the workplace. Uh, a lot of times the socialization meetings that occur in the professional world uh, revolve around the use of alcohol. And I'd like to know, I'll open this up for the, the panel and allow you to respond as you want to. Uh, what do you do in terms of uh, when you're sitting at a table for a luncheon and people are ordering drinks? Uh, how do you handle that situation? Do you pay for a client's drinks if you're out uh, uh, at a meal? you say a blessing before you partake of a meal when you're at a business luncheon? Uh, how do you respond to off-color jokes that are told uh, by colleagues or by uh, clients? How do you approach that? Gulp. <laughs> My 
first response when they asked me if I want to drink is, um, I'm in enough trouble already. <laughs> no, one, no one ever asks me a second time. And, um, regarding saying a blessing at a meal, um, I find when I'm in a group of ladies, um, just as the situation demands, if it's, if it's comfortable and the conversation pauses, I might say, um, would you all mind if um, I let us in the word of grace? Usually everybody's, you know, sure. You know, they wouldn't say, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> They're usually very um, cooperative, but, but not always do I feel at liberty to do that. Very often I just bow my head when they're chatting about something else and um, just, just kind of do what feels natural. Uh, everybody wants to know the answer to these questions. Um, I'll answer one, I think. Uh, the question of blessings at business meals. I never do that. Um, I'm there dealing with uh, people in business, and um, uh, if, if they are Christians and they want to have a blessing, we do it. But if not, uh, we just go ahead with the meal as it is. And uh, I'm going to be known as a Christian one way or the other, and, uh, and I don't need to impose some kind of tradition uh, to be that kind of witness. And uh, that's sort of the way I do it. And uh, uh, I think it's ultimately, from my standpoint, worked the best. I'll take the touchier issue, the drinks. Uh, you need to understand that I came from a home where I never saw my father take a drink of alcohol in his entire life. There was no alcohol in my home. And I'm not familiar with it, or I wasn't familiar with it. When I took the job at Northrop, some of you are in Curtis. My final interview question was, will you be comfortable? I see you came from a Baptist college. Will you be comfortable in a situation where people are drinking? Well, you might guess that in a community relations job, I'm probably almost always in a situation where people are ordering drinks. And I had to say to him, I conduct my life in a manner which I think is fitting for my beliefs. I am not judgmental for how other people conduct their lives. And I pretty much felt to that. And I have had absolutely no problem with it at all. Uh, as far as paying for drinks, absolutely, it's the company's money. I'm not paying for them personally, but if I'm there on company business and that's what's involved, then, then it's beautiful. As a matter of fact, I'm the one who plans twice a year the executive council conferences with the general manager and his 18 direct reports. It is my responsibility to stop the bar. Now, if you can imagine a sweet little Baptist girl stopping the bar, that's experience. I don't know one brand of liquor from the other. I don't know what a scotch is versus a bourbon or whatever, so I just do the best I can and rely on the advice that I get and learn their likes and dislikes. And I do stop the bar and I attend the conference and I see that the bottles are kept fresh. Does that conflict with my religious beliefs? Absolutely not. I am not the person who sets the standards for their behavior. I'll tell you what does make an impression on me. And that is that I am a woman alone with 18 men for four days and nights. Every single one of those men conducts themselves like an absolute gentleman. And when I took that job, I was told to expect all kinds of things. 
and it's never happened. You know why it hasn't happened? It's because I'm a Christian and I conduct myself as a Christian. It has nothing to do with whether they drink or they don't drink. I, I might approach the same question, question from the other side of the table. I uh, very rarely have ever taken anybody out, but I have sometimes taken out uh, to a, a luncheon by somebody who is trying to sell something. Uh, I always decline any alcohol, and more often than not, they don't order it either. Okay. Mrs. Givens. Let me move on to, uh, let me ask you this question, then I'll open up some more uh, general uh, questions. A complaint that some homemakers have expressed about their particular position in life is that it isolates them from social interaction with other adults. They spend all day talking to the dog or a two-year-old. Do you feel that this is a problem? And if so, what do you do to avoid this problem? Can I ask you about your dog? <laughs> you have intelligent conversations with him? I don't even have a dog. Oh, okay. Uh, my first comment is, this too shall pass. So many times... Is that the dog? <laughs> no. um, so many times, gals with, with young children, two-year-olds is always the famous age to talk about. They get so bogged down in um, all of the details that go with a two-year-old. Some, for some reason, it's so hard when you have toddlers at home to think that your life is going to change and this is going to be over and the two-year-old is going to be five and seven and twelve. You just feel like it's going to go on forever. Um, I think this can be a problem. A person can get all caught up in this if they don't plan it to be otherwise. I think when you have small children at home, you have to plan creatively on how you're going to be able to be involved with other adults. Um, there's all kinds of creative possibilities. There's programs that churches have, but the most important thing, I think, is to plan once a week to be out whether it's by yourself, whether it's with that dynamic two-year-old. But you can find somebody in the park. You can take the screaming kid for a walk. You can do something to get out of your surroundings that you feel so bound by. And um, I think it's important. I know none of you can relate to this if you don't have those kids at home. And you've seen all the cartoons where she's pulling her hair out and the dishwasher's broke and the dog is barking and the kids are hollering. Um, your turn is coming. <laughs> you don't think it's going to happen to you, but believe me, life doesn't just fall into little compartments and everything's going to be nice and your kid's not going to do that in front of others and he's going to be potty trained too. Um, you can read all the books and you can observe your neighbors, but you're going to have your struggles just like everybody else. I think, um, I guess I'll pick on guys for a minute. Um, if you have a small youngster at home, and I know maybe you don't now, but try to store this away in your computer for later. Uh, your wife is going to need a break. When you come home, she's going to tell you everything that the kid did and everything that's broke. And um, all the books will tell her, don't do that when he first walks in the door. You're supposed to be nice and smiling and cheering because he's been working hard all day. Um, but you got to remember, she's had a rough time too, and she needs a break. You need to take her out. 
you need to um, listen to all those wails and all those um, woes. Um, I think it's real important, and it can be a problem that a person finds himself in this situation can plan creatively so that it's not a problem. Thank you. The work world has been described as a place that you enter working 40 hours a week, and you work as hard as you can, and you're rewarded with a promotion that means you get to work 50 hours a week. And then you get another promotion to 60 hours a week. And it seems like the pressure to put in more and more time is, uh, is just all-consuming. How do you struggle with that? How, have you sensed that, that every rung on the ladder up has the word more time commitment on it? And if so, have you had to make a decision where you have turned your back on a promotion because it meant the time commitment that you weren't uh, willing to make? I would say no. Um, again, this comes down to excellence. One can do an excellent job if one manages his time right. One of the best examples is Ronald Reagan. Jimmy Carter, as you all probably know, managed the time on the tennis court at the White House. That's how much he got into minutia. He would be there 12, 13 hours a day. Ronald Reagan didn't do that. And Ronald Reagan probably, in, in, in retrospect, in history, will be a better president than Jimmy Carter was. I think you can tell that by now, and that's not a political statement. Uh, but the point is, management, knowing management, is essential in how you do a job. And if you go into business, uh, it's essential that you understand how to manage yourself and your time and your people. Because with proper management, you can do that. A friend of mine is the chief executive officer of one of the larger magazines in this country, and uh, he was under such stress. I remember he was going just like that, going up the mag. And you, you get into the media in the sense of working in television or newspapers, particularly in New York and the Madison Avenue syndrome. It becomes more and more frantic. And this man was running down a concourse to JFK Airport, and the last thing he remembers, he woke up looking straight up, had a stroke at 38. And uh, I know I just went through a thing with stress about two years ago, and I knew, knew I needed to get more exercise. But proper management, proper use of your time, and uh, keeping yourself in shape can make a big difference in how you deal uh, with these things. And there's no reason why you can't go up the ladder. You don't need to spend 15-hour days in the office. that are of the letter are spending more time and maybe it's because they don't know how to manage. I've already shared with you some of the decisions that I had to make, so I'd just like to share real quickly a decision that my father made when he was uh, employed, he's retired now, and he went up the ladder with Shell Oil Company as far as he could go without taking a transfer, first to Texas and then to Seattle and on and on and on as he watched many of the people that he worked with uh, proceed through their careers and climb the ladder. He made the decision to stay where he was, go no higher in his career, continue his involvement in the local church, build a home for his family and let them settle in and maintain a second job, which he did do. And I saw him through the years um, become frustrated with his job and his career. And 
as I grew at first I um, condemned this decision. I felt it was the wrong decision. And when I got into the business world, I thought, boy, Dad should have never done that. You know, he should have changed careers. He should have kept going. He, he wasn't what he wanted to be. He didn't want to do that kind of work all his life, and I don't think he was happy. And then as my family grew, and I realized the decisions that I have to make, and I watched the decisions that my husband has to make, I understand Dad's decision now. And I think it was the right one. And I think he sacrificed for his family and for his church and I think he's been rewarded for it and I hope that he has been. And it's not to say it will be that way for everyone, but you will have to make decisions. They won't be easy ones. There is a problem in in uh drawing the line between your work, your family, and your other responsibilities in church, etc. Um, I try to, in fact, I make a policy to leave work home. I mean, I leave work at work. And uh, if, if I can't get it done there, I'll stay there, but I won't try to bring it home. Uh, so when I'm with my, at home with my family, I'm with them. and. Uh, draw the line in that way. Uh, I I don't do that. In fact, what I do is I have a portable computer I keep at home, and sometimes, like this morning, I took three days off. This morning I was up at about 7 o'clock making calls in New York City, doing some things, so I could, could be spend that day at home with my family. And it's how I'm using that time, and I can do certain things. Uh, eventually, I have a computer in my home, so I can go directly to my office if I need to, need to get things. And I found myself being able to actually spend more time with my family by doing that. I take them on trips with me. To your point about about promotions, that is a major problem with U.S. corporations, where they have IBM. You, you all know IBM; uh, they're the ones that make computers. They used to be called IBM. Used to be called I've been moved. <laughs> you all know that I've been moved, and uh, they found after a while that this was becoming counterproductive to the executives. Can you all see us back there? Yeah, there. Uh, counterproductive, and the fact of the matter is, there's one member of the board of elders at Grace Church who finally made a decision that he was not going to go through the promotion, but he was he did very well in, in this major corporation, and then finally he decided to go to another corporation. So there's things you can do and stay in your home home area, but uh, I think you can do it. I know my organization is three times larger than it was when I started it ten years ago, and it's still not taking today the time-wise. I think through management we're doing better. Not that I'm so smart, but I've had people tell me what I ought to do. Thank you. Well, with that word of time, it's reminded me that our time is up for today. Remember that uh, college is not an end in itself. Our role here at the Master's College is to prepare you. And part of the way that we prepare you is to pull back the curtain on the professional world and allow you to glimpse at what's out there and to begin to set your sail accordingly. And I'd like to say a, a heartfelt word of thank you to the members of the panel who have been willing to come to chapel this morning and to pull back the curtain and let us look into the professional world and, uh, and also thank them for their honesty, their openness, and the time that they've spent with us this morning.
You're dismissed.